How many of you believe that Jesus loves you and wants to bless you and wants you to enjoy fullness of life? How many of you believe that? Amen. I believe that. I believe that's what he wants for us in the midst of every single storm, in the midst of the good times or the ordinary times, that he wants to bless us and that's his ultimate goal for us. We're looking at the miracles that happened through the life of Elijah to understand how God operates in the supernatural, what we need to learn from that. And when he announces the drought in the beginning of his ministry, we understand that the supernatural is sometimes confrontational. And then we have the widow who gives the last that she has and understand that the supernatural sometimes is counterintuitive, that God does things differently than we would expect him to do. And with the prophets of Baal, we saw that the supernatural is revelatory. It enables us to see things that we wouldn't see otherwise, brings to light. And sometimes the supernatural comes simply to refresh us. How many of you are glad that times of refreshing are available in our relationship to God? And that sometimes that's why God manifests his presence. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 25, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. In Acts chapter 3, after Pentecost came and they began to preach, you find Peter saying, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Romans chapter 15 verse 32, Paul says to the people that he's writing to in Rome, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together you will be refreshed. And who of us hasn't heard Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29 to 31? He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and are weary and young men stumble and fail. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Is there an amen in the house? Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We serve a God that gives rest. We serve a God that brings encouragement. We serve God that wants to bring times of refreshing on his people. And for that, I say, hallelujah. <laughs> I'm more excited than you are. I'm very glad that God comes to lift us up. God wants all of us to live in the place of refreshing and blessing. And so I want you to think about when God manifests his presence in a way that we experience his glory that refreshes us, what will that produce in us? And in this miracle of Elijah's life, we're looking at when the rain returned and what happened as a result of that. How many are ready to ride with me for a little bit? We're going to keep this train moving. And at the end, I feel like God's placed something on my heart I want to share with you specifically in this context. When God brings refreshing, you will be able to hear what no one else can hear. The Bible says that at the time that the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah have been put to death and the people have called on God, the Lord, he is God, that was the purpose of the disciplinary time that the nation of Israel would look back to God. 
that Elijah says to Ahab in verse uh, 41 of chapter 18, go eat and drink for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Who heard that sound? Nobody but Elijah. Who heard that sound? Not Ahab, not the people of Israel. There was one man on the planet who heard the sound that no one else heard, and his name was Elijah. He heard something, listen, he heard something in the spiritual realm that had not yet manifest in the natural realm, but he heard it nonetheless, that the Spirit of God gave revelation to him that the rain is going to come. It is the nature of God to give good gifts. The will of God was not drought. The will of God was an outpouring of rain. The will of God was not scarcity and poverty. The will of God was abundance and refreshing. And when you walk in the spirit, you will begin to hear things that no one else hears. You'll hear the answer before it comes. You'll hear the sound of rain in the middle of a drought because there's something supernaturally powerful that God does among those that are walking with him that we can hear God when no one else can hear him. Is there anyone in the house this morning? We can hear God when no one else can hear him. The Bible tells us that we walk by faith, that faith doesn't come by seeing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when you're in a dry place, in a drought, in a struggling time, God will speak contrary to your circumstances if you're listening to the voice of God. It may look like drought. It may look like poverty. It may look like there is no hope for you, but I'm telling you, keep listening. Hallelujah. Keep listening because there's going to come a sound like abundance of rain, and you can give testimony to that and walk in that and believe that because you're listening for the voice of God. I hear the sound. Ahab believed him. I don't know why Ahab believed him because there wasn't any thunder. There wasn't anything that would indicate that. But when the supernatural comes, you will hear what no one else can hear. How many are hearing me right now? Somebody right now needs to hear the voice of God in the midst of your circumstance. He wants to say something to you in the midst of your drought. He wants to say something to you in the midst of your trial, and you have to be listening because when the supernatural comes, you'll be able to hear what no one else can hear. Second, when the supernatural comes, you'll be able to pray beyond what others are willing to pray. I know what it's like to pray because you have to pray or because it's the right thing to do and you're going through the forms. Elbow your neighbor and say, wake up or he's going to preach till one o'clock. And I also know, do you know what it's like when you're praying and the spirit of God begins to move on you and there's an empowering that comes and all of a sudden your prayer is lifted from the mundane and the natural to the supernatural. Now I know there are times you do it as a discipline. When I was in Bible college, we had um, 
prayer groups that prayed for various parts of the world. And then we also had a prayer team that prayed during practical works where we had to go out and do things and minister. And it happened right after lunch. Do you know the worst time to pray is right after lunch? <laughs> so I'm praying, I'm kneeling at a pew, and the pew had those, kind of like the texture of these chairs. You know that burlap kind of texture that goes on those, what all the pews were covered with? How many know what I'm talking about? And I don't know, I don't remember this at all. I just remember praying and the next thing I know, an hour later, is the prayer group leader, who was a senior, said, hope you enjoyed your nap. It's time to go. <laughs> I lifted my head with a waffle pattern on my face. There was drool on the prayer cushion, or the pew cushion. And I'm glad that God, God gave me rest. I felt like that was a benefit. I also determined to not let that happen. But there have been other times that I've prayed where God settles in and God begins to touch and begins to move in a way that you can pray and keep praying and it seems like there is no end. Where I've prayed when five minutes seemed like an hour and I've prayed when an hour seemed like five minutes. How can you pray that way for the supernatural? I'm going to give you a little insight here that I'm going to pick up again at the end of the message. And here it is. We have to learn how to pray deeper than our heads. We need to learn how to worship deeper than our heads. There is something about moving into the spiritual realm that you get lost in the spirit. And I don't mean that in a crazy fanatical way, but that you have disconnected from the natural and you've moved into another realm of spiritual experience. That you lose yourself in the presence of God. Does anyone in the house, let me see your hand if you know what I'm talking about. And if we're going to operate in the supernatural, you've got to be able to do that. I know, it's one thing, I know the songs we sing, most of them. And I can sing them from here. Come on. I can sing them from here. I can also raise my hands from here. But you know you can miss heaven by 18 inches? When your religion, your faith is only here and isn't here, you haven't incorporated it in a way that will change your life. Supernatural, Pentecostal, charismatic, spirit-filled people have learned, number one, primarily what it means to move from the natural into the supernatural. And when you're seeking the face of God and the supernatural moves in, all of a sudden, it's not about you. You're lost in your relationship to God, and you can pray in those moments beyond what anyone else will pray. And you can pray beyond what anyone else can pray because you've heard what no one else can hear. Now, God had already told Elijah it was going to rain and to tell Ahab, but you know what Elijah had to do? He had to dig it out by praying. Because there is a relationship between what God declares and how we respond. God declares his will, and then it's our responsibility to act on that and stand that ground. There is, there is no healing power in my hands. I'll wait for you to catch up. But Jesus said... That we would lay these dead hands 
on the sick and they would recover. Because when our obedience to his declaration connects with the revelation of his will, the supernatural happens. I don't understand everything about that, but I, but I do know that God can work around people. I get all of that. But if you want to participate in the supernatural, there's always something that man does in obedience to what God has declared. When you tithe, he will bless. He won't bless so you can tithe. So then, what happens with Elijah? <laughs> He's heard a sound of abundance of rain, but the rain didn't come at that moment. He begins to pray. And the Bible tells us that he said to his servant after he prayed that Elijah, Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees because he's declared what God has said and if it doesn't happen, Ahab's going to kill him. He's interceding. Go and look toward the sea, he told the servant. He got up and looked. There is nothing. Now, I'm glad for people who report the truth. And Elijah needed to report the truth. And so I'm going to use here what's called eisegesis as opposed to exegesis. I'm going to stretch the text just a little bit. But I've had plenty of people in my life, all of my life, who can tell me what's not happening. Nothing there. Now, I know Elijah asked him, and he wanted to know, and he needed to know, and I get that. But I'm telling you what, you don't need two of those guys. You don't need three of those. One's a plenty. What do you see? Nothing. He prays again a second time. What do you see? Nothing. He prays again a third time. What do you see? Nothing. How many of you are ready to quit and run for your life? I'd go to the cave early. He prays again the fourth time. Nothing happens. What do you see? Nothing. Fifth time. Praise. What, what do you see now? Nothing. Sixth time. What do you pray? And, and I imagine the servant came back, Elijah, this is six times. There's still nothing there. But Elijah prayed one more time, and the servant said, Elijah, <laughs> whoo, he said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. I see a cloud the size of a man's hand rising up from the sea. The Bible tells us that Elijah was a man subject like passions like as we are and he prayed fervently and God answered his prayer because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man will avail much and that was all he needed to see. What he heard God say he prayed until he saw it come and when he saw it start to move he didn't have to wait for the raindrops he knew that the answer was on the way. Importunate prayer will always produce fruit. Jesus told the story of the unjust judge who wanted an intervention and the judge wouldn't hear her and she goes back and back and back to the unjust judge until he says I will grant her request lest by her continual coming she wearies me and then Jesus said hear what the unjust judge says how much more 
How much more shall God hear his elect who continually come to him? When you pray again and again and again, hear me, and the sky is empty and nothing is happening, doesn't mean nothing is happening. And it doesn't mean that God isn't hearing. It means if you heard from heaven, you keep praying until you see on earth. I said if you heard from heaven, you keep praying until you see it on earth because something's happening in the supernatural realm that's moving the demonic back, that's empowering you and strengthening you and turning you into the man or woman of God you need to be. There's something powerful about prayer that doesn't give up. Something changes in you and in the spirit world when you continue to pray. How are you to pray? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When the supernatural comes, you will hear what no one else can hear. You will pray beyond what others are willing to pray. And third, you'll be able to run faster than others are running. I'm loving this message. That doesn't look like you're getting a lot out of it, but it's blessing me. So just pray that God will help me this morning because I'm getting something from this. You'll run faster than others are able to run. Now, I'm telling you what, my wife ran track. I did not. Because the only reason I'm going to run is if something is chasing me. Anybody on page with me? I tell people that I chased her till she caught me. But I played golf. And she said, what sense does it make to hit a ball and then go chase it? And when I golf, it is chasing it. It's kind of like my preaching, always to the right and always near a hazard. I'm chasing it. So running isn't my specialty. But there are other people who love to run, and I can't outrun most people. Uh, Some I can. Some of you I think I could beat, but a lot of you I couldn't. So I also know that running represents a spiritual activity. In Isaiah 40 that I just read to you, they shall run and not be weary. Um, Our son Caleb was out for cross country. And I loved watching that. I loved watching cross country because it meant I was watching cross country. <laughs> and I'll never forget one of, the, one of the meets and you watch them come and they've been running cross country and they come to that last stretch and everything they have left, they kick it and give every ounce they have and you watch them collapse. Some of them need, I've seen them need oxygen, need something to drink. There are a lot of things depending on how hot it is, but I'll never forget one particular race. Everybody's in, I thought, but there's some people still watching. They've picked up all the timers. The finish line, the arch has been taken down. And we're ready to go. And I look. And around the corner comes a little chubby kid. And when he turns the corner, he starts to run. Now, I'm telling you, he had not been running. (laughs) Because there wasn't a drop of sweat on his brow. 
and they cheered and they cheered. He ran just for that final run through uh, the gate. But I'll tell you, the rest of the cross-country runners, what's it all about? It's about your personal best. It's about pressing it a little bit more. It's not about just finishing. It's about running faster. Track meets are about running faster and honing your skill. And I'm telling you, there are times in the spirit that God will come on you and you'll run faster than anyone else can run. How can he go there? How can he do that? How can that power of God be manifest? It's because you heard what no one else could hear. You prayed beyond what others are willing to pray. And now you can run faster than others can run. The power of the Lord, the Bible says, came on Elijah. He tucked in his cloak and began to run. He told Ahab, or the message went to Ahab, that the sound of rain is going to become a reality. The sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling. Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And I just picture this. However you want to picture it is fine. But Ahab's in his chariot. And I know there are times that they would have the the conquered foe run or young men run in front of the chariot this was different it's a pouring rain we're not out on a parade we're not watching for some uh, scenery to pass by but Elijah sees the chariot go and he pulls up his cloak and tucks it in and he runs ahead of the chariot all the way to Jezreel Ahab and his chariot can't keep up with a man of God full of the spirit of God that's just seen his prayer answered and he's running with all that he has and they say the distance depending on where he was on Carmel and where they ran to in Jezreel could have been anywhere from 15 to 50 miles so I'm going for this message for the longer one I believe that he ran 50 miles ahead of the chariot the spirit of God came on him and that chariot's going and Elijah's looking over his corner just trucking up and down because when the spirit of God comes on you that which is impossible becomes possible. That which is difficult becomes doable. That which you could not have accomplished becomes an accomplishment because you can run faster than others can run when the Spirit of God comes on you. The Bible tells us that the people of God will be strong and do exploits. In, I, in Daniel chapter 11, verse 28, then shall he return to his land, it's prophetic, apocalyptic, with great riches, and his heart shall be against the holy covenant. And he will do exploits and return to his own land, talking about the Antichrist. He will do exploits. But in verse 32, just four verses later, and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries, the Antichrist. You talk about the world we're living in, this is a time when the Antichrist is revealed and living on planet Earth. And the Bible says, but, but, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. God wants to confirm his word with signs following. The gifts of the spirit include workings of miracles. Pentecostal people need to do more than believe in Pentecostal power. We need to act on Pentecostal power. We need to begin to believe again for the supernatural and we need to run where others cannot run. We need to see the power of God fall in places where it's empty and dead because when the supernatural comes, you can run faster and farther than others can run. Amen. I believe that. Fourth, you'll be able to receive 
what no one else is able to give. You'll be able to receive what no one else is able to give. <laughs> I, you know, I, let me just tell you something here before I go back to preaching. Ministry is exhausting. Preaching, when done right, is more than a TED Talk. <laughs> and I like TED Talks. I'm not against those. But I need to just tell you something about what I believe about preaching. I'm not up here to give you a lecture on what I believe the Word of God says. I am up here asking God to let me be a prophetic voice to his people. Above everything else, I want to be a mouthpiece for God and that he would speak from me to you and the spirit of God would speak to your heart. That's more than just giving a lecture. When you pray, and you can ask my wife, when I'm done on Sunday, I'm done for a while. Give me something to eat, let me take a nap. Don't mess with me. I need to read because ministry in the supernatural is exhausting. Anybody who's prayed for the sick, anybody that's dealt with demon powers, Anybody that's operated in the supernatural knows that there is a physical toll that comes on those who operate under the spiritual anointing. It's just a fact. So if you're never tired, you've not been anointed. The word glory means a heaviness, a presence that's heavy. And so Elijah, I mean, what more do you need? You've just watched 850 enemy prophets killed. You've prayed, and now the rain has started to fall, and you've run all the way to Jezreel ahead of Ahab's chariot. And then you get word. Jezebel says, God do so, more, so and more to me if by this time tomorrow you're not as dead as the prophets of Baal. <laughs> and this great man of God who has stood in the face of evil prophets and run ahead of Ahab's chariot and seen the rain fall is now terrified of a woman. A woman spurned and he's running for his life. You see, you can't expect everyone to be as excited as you are about what God is doing. Jezebel sends a message to Elijah. She's going to kill him. He's afraid, runs in chapter 19 and sits under a juniper tree. And listen to this great man of God. Listen to the power of this man of God who's operating the supernatural. Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a juniper tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he laid down to go to sleep and die. <laughs> I've been there. Anybody else been there? God, I can't do this anymore. I know what you've done, but I'm done now. I'm just done. I can't go any further. Just kill me. Take me home. 
I'm done. Don't make spiritual decisions when you're physically exhausted. You'll make the wrong decision. And what if, what if an angel showed up with a sword and said, what you want, Elijah? Well, we're done with you. You've served your purpose off with your head. That's not what happens because God understands the load. Have you ever been exhausted and just wanted to get stop the world I want to get off? Has anybody ever been there? Four of us, five of them, see your hands. I'm curious if anybody's been in the same boat I'm in. There are times where it's like, I'm done, God. 850 prophets of Baal is one thing, but Jezebel is a whole nother story. Now, I don't want to pull this out too far, but I do think there's a model here for what happens when God who wants to bless you sees the toll physically it takes on you when you operate in the supernatural. He goes to sleep under the tree. Um, And the Bible says, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head were some pancakes, eggs, bacon, warm syrup. That's what mine says, what's yours say? Looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals, which I find fascinating. This angel's a baker. And it doesn't just say some bread showed up. It was bread baked over hot coals. I mean, the detail there is amazing. And a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, and he went into a cave and spent the night. There's a principle here. Let me just talk to you that when you are spiritually exhausted, what should you do? You shouldn't fast and you shouldn't commit to hours of prayer. What should you do when you're exhausted? Sleep, eat, and drink. Because God designed you to have the ability to refresh your physical frame. That doesn't mean that you get a whole pecan pie with a half gallon of ice cream and slobber that thing down. Some baked bread off the coals would be good. Something that has some basic nutritional value for you. There's something powerful that happens. Sometimes I want to say to people, I've, I've been in staff meetings, sometimes I want to say, you guys need to just go home and take a nap. They wanted to say to me, Pastor, I think you need to go home and take a nap. There's a reason we start every staff meeting with food. Hallelujah. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not rocket science. Some of you hit the wall and what you need to do is take care of yourself because there are times that you need to do the work of taking care of yourself. You're not any good to anyone if you're spent. And so I'll throw this out. Some of you have heard me say this, but sometimes after second service, people will want to know if I'll spend some time counseling them. No, no. I'm going to eat and drink and rest because neither one of us is going to like what happens if I try to counsel you after two morning worship services. Well, you should be stronger than that. No, I shouldn't. 
No, I shouldn't. Elijah demonstrates there are times, hear me right now, to recognize your limits and refresh yourself with the tools God has given you. That isn't the wrong thing to do. And he continues on supernaturally on angel food. But he's not done. So 40 days he gets to Horeb and he goes into a cave. He's still not because that's not where all the refreshing will come. Watch what happens here. He sleeps, eats, and drinks, and then he moves out of that place. Sleeps, eats, drinks, and moves on, and then he still goes into a cave because the real need has not been addressed. What are you doing here, Elijah? I wonder how many times God would say to us, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this place? What are you doing in that mindset? What are you doing in that thought process? What are you doing here? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. Now, stop, stop, Elijah. Do you forget what just happened? They've all said the Lord, he is God. They've turned back. God's done the supernatural. But he goes back, and I don't get this, how easy it is from us, for us to go back from the moment of spiritual vitality and power to the negativity we had before that. How easy it is in the moment that God reveals himself and does something, something supernatural for us to go back and live in the world of need before God showed up. God begins, God begins to do something and it's really easy for us to go back to our need, not embrace the blessing because we like the attention we get when we're hurting. Come on, is there anyone in the house? Not trying to be mean, just trying to talk to us. God, they've all turned. And he goes back to that false information that he had with the prophets of Baal. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Now watch, so God says, this is really critical. God says to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord to pass by. So he's standing there and there's a great and powerful wind. A tornado goes by and tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. And every Iowa man knows what that means because you've been on the porch when the tornado went by. <laughs> Send the family to the basement and I'm gonna face the tornado. But you know what? Even though God, watch, even though God did it, he wasn't in it. Because you won't find God in the manifestations. As long as you seek his hand, you'll never see his face. As long as you seek his gifts, you'll never meet the giver. You've got to move from the manifestation to the person God was not in the wind. After the wind, there came an earthquake. And Elijah's just standing there. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. So a tornado goes by. There's a great earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. And I don't know. I'm going to just kind of extrapolate that. I think lightning struck the earth or something happened. There's this explosive fire. So he said, how depressed do you have to be to stand in the front of a cave and watch a tornado, an earthquake, and a lightning show and still be depressed? You're in pretty deep, right? You're in pretty deep. But God's not in any of those. When Elijah heard it, 
um, after the fire, a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. I just, that is so like we are. The power of God is manifested everywhere. Boom, boom, blast, bang, blast off, power pop and go. It's all happening. And then he hears God and he goes. He's like a little kid in the bed who pulls a blanket over his head. I don't want to hear the answer. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we don't want the answer. We want to stay in our depression because that's where we've learned to function the best. Come on, hear me this morning. This will help somebody. So God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The same question he asked him before all this started. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he goes on with the same story again. Because here's what I want you to get. Nothing changes by supernatural manifestations. Nothing changes until you hear the still, small voice of God. What is more powerful than a tornado? The voice of God. What is more powerful than an earthquake? The still, small voice of God. What is more powerful than a firestorm? The still, small voice of God. And God begins to speak to him and says, doesn't remind him of what he said about the 7,000. He's already told him that. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram and anoint Jehu son of um, Nimshai king over Israel and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet, and then he reminds him again now, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, whose mouth have not kissed him. So watch, he's refreshed himself, hasn't taken care of his spiritual need. He's seen the manifestations. It hasn't taken care of his spiritual need. But he heard the still, small voice of God. And he says to him, and I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but go back the way you came. This is going to be a little allegorical for me, but I felt like God spoke it to me. When you're in a place where you've lost him. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're in a place where you've lost him. You're depressed. You're not feeling his touch. His presence isn't on you. What do you need to do? Go back to where you had it before. Go back the way you came. Where did you have it before? Go back. The path you're on has brought you to a cave of depression. And God is saying, I still have work for you to do. Get up and listen to my voice. Go back the way you came. There's more that I have for you to do. And I found the greatest healing force of God is when you hear his voice and you obey his voice and go back to what he's called you to do. Because when you begin to walk in your calling again, when you begin to 
walk in your anointing again, there's a refreshing that will come that no one else can give, that nothing else can give. People will say to me, well, what do you do for refreshing? What do you do for a break? And there are things I like to do, but I've never found anything that will refresh me like going back to where I felt his touch and obeying what he's called me to do. Can I just say something? You may not like this, but I'll debate this in another message. Sometimes spiritual life is fake it till you make it. What do you mean by that? You do the right thing whether you feel it or not. And when you start doing the right thing, whether you feel it or not, the feelings will come alongside obedience. Feelings don't lead to obedience. Feelings follow obedience. And what changed Elijah's life is when he took care of himself, when he saw the supernatural, when he heard the still small voice of God, and then he began to act in obedience and went back to God's calling on his life. As long as you run from it, you'll be depressed. But when you begin to run toward it you'll feel his power and his anointing and his touch again run toward it go back and do what God's called you to do you'll receive what no one else is able to give therapy won't do that um recreation won't do that but the still small voice of God and obedience to it will and last you'll find support that only God can ordain you'll find support that only God can ordain When he leaves from there, God's already told him about Elisha. Verse 19, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him. Elijah left the oxen, ran after Elijah, said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. He said, and then I will come and join you. And Elijah says, what have I done to you? Elijah, just, he needs a kick in the seat. He's one of those guys that his glass is always half empty. So those of you that are like that, I just want you to know there's hope for you too. <laughs> he said, well, I didn't do anything to you. Do whatever you want to do. Here's the offer. Do what you want to do. Here's what God did for Elijah. Elijah isn't doing well on his own. Two things need to happen for Elisha. He needs someone to walk with him. And he needs a vision of the future that he's going to pass the faith to the next generation. We're not here to just make it. I'll, I'll not forget the conversation I had with a friend of mine talking about a board member in another church who said, I don't care about the younger generation. Then you need to get in the cave and get out of the way. Because when it's all about you and today, that's the end of the road and that's discouraging. But I know, I'm absolutely convinced that the best churches have not yet been built. The best revival has not yet been experienced. The greatest wave of God has not yet happened because Jesus has not yet returned. And I have great hope for the next generation. They'll do it different. They'll do it weird. They'll do it ways that I'm not comfortable with. I won't understand it, but it's okay because God didn't ask me to craft it. He asked me to pass it, to pass it and let them run the same way the generation behind me let me run. Some of you need someone to walk with you. Well, that's my problem, pastor. Nobody likes me. I don't have any friends. (sighs) 
if you, <laughs> I'm going to say it. If you don't have any friends, you're the problem. Now, I would never say that to you one-on-one. -on -one. I would say, oh, let's talk about your friend, your skills, your, you know, let's talk. How, but the reality is, when well, I'm not talking to anyone specific, if you don't have any friends, you're the problem. Here's what I've learned. Years ago, when I was in junior high, a new family came to our church, and they had a boy about my age, and I thought it was cool, and I wanted him to be my friend. And I remember praying, God, let him be my friend. And I heard God say, as a young teenager, I heard God say, if you want him to be your friend, go be his friend. So I went up, introduced myself, welcomed him, and became friends. I've never lacked for friends. Because if you don't want to be my friend, that's your loss. <laughs> There's somebody else. And I'm not going to sit around and just wait. I hope, hope somebody finds me. <laughs> no, Elijah... Elisha didn't come to Elijah. Elijah went to Elisha to mentor him, but also co-labor. Somebody, somebody needs to hear this this morning. Quit whining in the cave and go meet somebody. Because we all need co-laborers. Come on, we all need someone around us. We all need someone we're teaming with. And God sent him to Elisha for Elisha to walk with him and co-labor with him and be mentored by him so that the supernatural power of God would continue in the land of Israel. And they strengthened each other. And when, this cracks me up, when Elijah says, do whatever you want, I don't care. I offered do whatever you want. Do you know what he, watch what he does. Elisha is of a different spirit. Elisha left him and went back. Watch, this is significant. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. And then he sent out, set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Do you know what he did? He heard the call from God to follow Elijah and he burned the bridge back to his old life. Used what he had to bless others and made sure there was not a way to come back. When you make a commitment to Christ, some people keep a bridge open in case it doesn't work out. I, I've talked to people who, who um, tried to quit cigarettes but kept a few on the side. You're not going to quit. Try to quit drugs but keep a little bit on the side. You're not going to quit. I'll never forget a, a young man that came into my office uh, when I was pastoring in Ames and God was dealing with him. He got saved at a, at a Bible study led by people that were smoking weed and it was messing him all up and he said, well, I have such great revelations and I said, well, write down your revelations when you're smoking weed and bring them to me. I saw him a couple weeks later I said, where are the revelations? He said, I don't have them. I said, why not? Did you write them down? He said, yeah, I wrote them down, but I can only understand them when I'm high. <laughs> so I'm sitting in my office. He walks in and he brings me a ceramic cigarette. He stuffed weed in. He brought me a pipe and a, and a brick of marijuana. He said, this is everything I have. Do you know what he's doing? He's burning the bridge back to his old life. And we celebrated and we prayed together. He left that on my desk and he left. And I stood there and got a cold chill and thought, I'm going to prison. 
What do I do? What do I do with this? Like I'm going to call the police? Now I could have. They, since then, they would have understood. They would have come. But I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. So I, I thought, well, I sat in the bathroom for a couple hours. I wasn't smoking it. <laughs> little by little, I'm flushing it down the toilet. When it was gone, I smashed the pipe and the cigarette. All I know is the town seemed a little happier for a few days. But that's... I'm joking. I'm totally joking. He decided that day he was going to burn the bridge. And some of you have never burned your bridge. You've got a path back, and that's why you don't have joy. If he speaks to you and gives you direction, slaughter the oxen. Burn the yokes. Cook some food. Give it to your friends. And then don't look back. You'll find support that only God can ordain. God will bring the right people into your life. God wants you to be refreshed. How's it going to happen? Stacy, if you'd come. You will hear when the supernatural comes. You will hear what no one else can hear. You'll pray beyond what others are willing to pray. You'll run faster than others are willing, able to run. You'll receive what no one else can give, and you'll find support that only God can ordain. And here's what I want you to, here's, I want to talk to you for a minute, all right? I tried to hurry and get done. Can, how many will give me two more minutes? Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen. Here's what I want you to get. Need you to listen to me really close here. God has given a gift to the church so that you can always find refreshing. And that gift is speaking in other tongues. I'm not interested in having a debate with you except to clarify every person who is born again, has the Holy Spirit alive on the inside of them. They're not, they're not first class and second class believers. It's all a gift. The Holy Spirit is alive inside of you. But the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that he's given a gift with an immersion in the Spirit called speaking in other tongues. And here's what the Bible tells us about that. He that prays in an unknown tongue edifies himself because his spirit prays, but his understanding is unfruitful. People will say, well, I just don't have that gift. I don't believe God gives that gift to everybody. Think about what you just said. There is a gift that guarantees refreshing from the presence of God. And you're saying that he's not gonna make that available to everybody? What kind of God is that? You may as well be Calvinist because he doesn't pick who's gonna be lost and who's gonna be damned, and he doesn't pick who's gonna be blessed and who can't have the gift. So the gift is for you. The mistake I think we've made in charismatic churches is this. We've made speaking in tongues the destination rather than part of the journey. So we say to people, come up here, get baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'll pray for you, speak in tongues, now you got it. go sit back down. It's a journey, not a destination. And so I want to tell you, if you've never received that gift, I want to challenge you this morning how to receive that for yourself. I've prayed for people this way numerous times. Had a man came into my office, wanted to receive that gift. I prayed for him and nothing happened. And you can imagine if I walked up to someone right now and I laid my hands and said, now start speaking in tongues. There's this pressure to perform that destroys relational connection. 
and what you have to do is get to a place. I said, here's what you need to do when you leave now, after we've prayed, when you leave here, I want you to do whatever you do with worship and begin to listen. He said, listen to worship music, began to pray it. And before he got to work, he was speaking in another language. I talked to another man, prayed for him. I said, where do you worship? He said, I worship in the shower. I said, just believe for God in those moments of worship to pray that language out of you. And for a long time, his best prayer time was in the shower because that's where he experienced. I'm telling you, it's not about a moment of destination. It's about a journey with Jesus. And he wants you to have that. So here's how you receive. How many ready? How do you receive? Number one, you have to first learn to be a worshiper. If you can't worship from here to here, you'll never receive. The struggle I had receiving the gift was I had to intellectually parse it. I wanted to understand it. I had to know what it was about. And until I released that, I couldn't receive. You have to learn to worship where it's more than raising your hand and singing from here that the Spirit of God not only moves on your head, but He moves on your heart. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When you move into that worship place where it's like, oh, wow, I feel something I haven't felt before. Practice that. Learn that first. Learn to be a worshiper. Learn how to step in. And then speak out that language. It's that simple. You say, well, what if it's not him? Here's what he said. And I'm going to tell you what, every day of the week, 24 hours a day, I'm going to believe what he said, not what you think. He said, if you ask the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's not going to, if you ask an egg, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. And the devil's using that to keep you from receiving. I listened to the testimony of a man who for, struggled for months and finally prayed in tongues. And his wife said, listen, for the last three months, when you wake up in the morning, you wake up speaking another language. And as soon as you begin to think, you, you, you shut it down. Just speak it. That's simple. Yeah, just speak it. What if it's not God? Thou shalt not surely die. But he said, if you ask it, he'll give it. He said, if you ask it, he'll give it. Then when he gives it, you have to speak it. He's not going to take over your tongue or your mouth. You're going to speak it. It's that simple. Learn to be a worshiper, ask for it, and then speak it. I've seen person after person after person receive a whole new empowering of the spirit when they just practice that how many are hearing what i'm saying if you've never spoken in other tongues we're going to worship for a few minutes and i'm not going to call you for it i'm not going to pray for you though i believe in that i believe there are times for that and i'm for that but this morning i think it'd be wonderful if someone said i'm going to worship him and i'm going to ask and i'm just going to speak it i'm done worrying about it i'm going to take a step of faith when you step in the water, it rolls back. Is anybody hearing me this morning? You don't have to be afraid of it. In fact, this is how God, there was a mainline church that had been praying for years for revival. And as they're praying for revival, stayed formal pastor is preaching his stayed formal message. And he, he, he did something radical. He stepped out from behind the pulpit and got to the edge. And when he did, he slipped and he kind of ran down the steps and staggered 10 or 12 places and people stood on their feet and started praising God and shouting. They thought the power of God had hit him. It's as simple as you moving out from where you are into where he is. He said it, you just have to believe it. I believe that God wants everyone to have that refreshing gift. 
Now you say, well, I'm not a Christian. That's simple. How many know that's not hard either? That's not hard either. Admit your need that you failed, you've sinned. Believe that he is your sacrifice and confess him as your Lord. And that's all it takes and he moves in. And as soon as you do that, you're a candidate for this gift of refreshing that comes from the Lord. I know I'm going a little bit long, but I believe it's really, really important to get a hold of this this morning. So maybe you'll be next Sunday during worship. Maybe you'll be in your prayer time. Maybe you'll be driving down the road. But I'm believing that God, over the next few weeks in this series, is going to start baptizing people in the Spirit that get it wholesale, not retail, that get it from His presence, and then you walk in it forever. I just ask that you'll let me know when that happens for you so that you can celebrate it. I talked to a young man at the Iowa School of Ministry that was in ministry in a Lutheran church. He said, I want that gift, and I prayed for him. I said, now, God's given it to you. You just need to learn to walk in it, and when it happens, I want to be the first one you call. About three months later, he called me. He said, I just got to tell you, I had the greatest thing happened in my devotional time this morning as I began to pray in another language, like something I've never experienced before in my life. God wants that for you. That's not about being a sons of God. It's not about being Pentecostal. It's about believing what he said. This is the refreshing. This is the refreshing that he has for all of us. So let's stand together. Stacy's going to lead us. We're just going to worship for a while. And now that I've drawn the line, you feel the pressure. I don't care whether you receive today or not. What I care is that you receive somewhere in your relationship to God that you'll open up to him and that language will flow out of you and you'll experience the the refreshing he has for the weary. Can we just close our eyes, lift our hands, take a few minutes to magnify God together. Let's lift the name of Jesus.
language out right now, right where you are. Just begin to speak that out right now. I declare that in the name of Jesus. Release that right now and begin to magnify him. A new language coming out of you right now. He's all over you. You just need to obey. Step out into the water and obey him and begin to speak in that new language. Right now in Jesus' name, speak. Give voice to that right now in the name of Jesus. a hunger for the supernatural creating us a hunger for the times refreshing God create us a hunger that we will be, not be satisfied until we experience what you have for us and everyone who believes that said amen if you love Jesus let me hear your hands this morning when that time comes for you and you speak in another language I want to hear about it as soon as that happens for you Thank you for your faithfulness, your giving. Thanks for letting me go a little bit longer this morning. Not that you had a voice in it, but thank you anyway. And I believe that God's going to do great things in this place as we seek his face. Amen. God bless you. Greet someone. Encourage them today. Be a blessing.